Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, before we jump into our uh, Christmas series this year called The Ghosts of Christmas Past, I do want to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time that we have four Christmas Eve services this year. We have two family services. If you guys been to our family service the last two years, even during when we started this at the end of COVID, it was packed in here like to the brim. And so we couldn't fit any more people. So we decided to offer another one this year. So there is a great family service. This is interactive. It's fun. Uh, we invite the kids down. There are experiments. There's all sorts of celebratory things. So it is loud. It is wild. If that is your style Christmas service, come to the 10 or the 1030. It is not just for kids. It is for the whole family. Come in your PJs. Come and have a good time. If you want something a little more contemplative, a little more reflective, candlelighting, carols, teaching, then we encourage you to come back at 7 p.m. or 11 p.m. for our candlelight services. Or maybe you want to come to both because they're both phenomenal in their own ways. And so we invite you here. We encourage you to invite as many people as you possibly can. Studies show that Christmas is the number one most likely time that an unchurched person will come to church. And so we do encourage you to invite, to um, text, to take all of the resources that we give you, share them, and invite as many people as possible to join you this Christmas season. Not just Christmas Eve, though that's an easy one, but certainly on Sunday mornings as well, because these series, this series in particular, I think is going to be really, really relevant to our community. We are in part one of a message series called The Ghosts of Christmas Past. Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? I mean, we love Christmas. We were decorating our house for Christmas yesterday. We have like eight times more Christmas decorations than we do any other season in our house, right? We love Christmas. We put the trees up. We put the lights on the house. We put the lights on the tree. We just The spirit of Christmas makes everything better for a lot of people. But Christmas is also really hard for a lot of people. It's challenging because everything seems to be magnified this time of the year. The good things are really, really good this time of the year, and everything's heightened and magnified, and it's exciting. But if you've experienced loss, if you've experienced hurt, if there is sorrow burrowed within you, then it is magnified as well. And this time of the year can really bring out a lot of the challenges and the pains that we experience throughout the year. So in this series, we're going to look at some of those things we tend to carry around with us, some of the past hurts, the past labels that we carry and label ourselves by, the past losses, these things that oftentimes tend to haunt us, if you will, especially this time of the year. So today we are going to unshackle from past hurts. Anybody carry a, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but carry a past hurt, something that someone has done to you or something maybe that you did to somebody else and you carry that with you even today. Some of these things are maybe insignificant, but some of them are really severe. Some of them can be really traumatic even. And we carry these things with us and they tend to haunt us, right? They're a ghost of a, of a past life. And the question is, how do we forgive? How do we, how do we move forward? How do we move forward freely without the burden and the shackles of forgiveness? 
And so here's something that we all experience, that hurt is on a spectrum. You ever thought about this? Hurt is on a spectrum. Some things just aren't that big of a deal, though we probably know somebody, and maybe that some person is you, that make little things a bigger deal than they probably need to be. Right? Some things are on that end of the spectrum, like, yeah, they're pretty insignificant. I could probably overlook these, but I tend not to, or I choose not to. But then there are these other things on the other end of the spectrum that are traumatic. Some of the hurt we experience is because someone did something to us or we hurt somebody else in a really, really significant way and we carry this with us. So my hope is that we would experience freedom this morning, that we would experience an ability to move forward into freedom this morning. And so I want to talk about the whole spectrum. And we're going to start on the small side. We're going to start on the things that maybe seem insignificant at times. How many of you know somebody that's easily offended? Let's raise our hand for this one. How many of you know somebody that is easily offended? A lot of us, right? Maybe that somebody is you, if you're honest, right? In your more honest moments, okay, I am more easily offended. Maybe you know someone who would be so offended that you rose your hand thinking that they would be offended by that. We probably know someone like that, right? Maybe that person is even you, right? Your neighbor, your spouse is thinking, yeah, okay, I'm raising my hand for them. They would be offended by that. So easily offended. It's difficult to admit. Oftentimes, we're easily offended. I get offended sometimes in traffic. Anybody, any, any offensive traffic? Yeah. Um, I, I, you see, here's what bothers me. When I let somebody in, man, they've been waiting for like five cars, right? Six cars. They go by. I, I, I'm kind. My righteousness is like, you know, buddy, come on in, right? And then, and then, they don't give the obligatory wave. Anybody ever get offended by that? I'm like, how I just let you in. I was the nice guy, and you didn't thank me? I get offended. How about when someone doesn't use their blinker? I hate that. I, I just like, use your blinker. It's there for a reason. You know, I blew through a stop sign yesterday, un- completely unexpected. Emily is like, you blew through a stop sign? You're mad at a blinker? You, it, was, it was bad. It was scary, right? I admitted it. It snuck up on me. But she was like, you're offended by a blinker? You just blew through a stop sign. You're a horrible driver. No. I get real, I hate when people don't use their blinker. That's a pet peeve of mine. How about when you hold the door for someone and they just don't say thank you? Come on. Like people, people, genuine kindness. It's so easy. Just say thank you, right? Maybe you're talking with someone and they keep fubbing you. You guys know what that means? You're talking to somebody? I'm very guilty of this. We're, we're talking and I'm just like, I bring out my phone in the middle of a conversation. It's like we are having a conversation here and you bring out your phone. Very offensive, right? Very, very offensive. How about when you text somebody and then um, and then they don't respond back right away? I just, I, I'm like, I put my effort into texting you, you don't respond back. And then here's the worst thing, right? We we see the little bubble start popping up, like they're responding, and then it disappears. Yeah, and then they never respond. I'm like, I put some effort into this thought. Like, why aren't you responding to me? I hate that. I'm so offended by that. Maybe um, maybe during Thanksgiving your sister arrived to dinner late, of course, because she always does, right? And she didn't bring any food, but she brought the Tupperware. You guys know what that means, right? She's not, she's not contributing, but she's taken away. You know how that goes. That's offensive. Uh, we just opened the Bridge Coffee Shop, which is super cool. And, um, you know, uh, Levittown now shared, like, it's been shared like 150 times on the Levittown on Perry Gen. There was one, there was like 175 amazing comments, like, everybody loves it. And then there's that one guy. That one guy who was like, it's never, it's never going to survive. I'm like, how offended? I don't know. You might be here. I don't know. I'm glad. I hope you're here. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's so, it's so interesting how, especially around the holidays, the littlest things can set us off in the biggest ways, can't they? 
A time that is supposed to be honoring, a season of reflecting on how love came near and how love became manifest becomes a season where love is oftentimes the furthest things from our mind and furthest things from our hearts, and offenses oftentimes feel overwhelming. So when you feel agitated by something, you know in your heart is a petty nonsense. I want you to remember what the proverb says. This is Proverbs 19.11. A sensible person is slow to anger. It's for their glory to rise above offense. Have you ever seen a person respond to what is ultimately a petty offense by throwing a fit? Yeah, we've seen that. Yelling and screaming about something ins- insignificant, it's, bar- it's embarrassing. I, I, I tell my six-year-old even, I tell my six-year-old when she's throwing a fit about something insignificant, I'm like, you're not two anymore. Like, why are you stooping down to the level of maturity of someone so beneath you? When we stoop down to the level of our offense, we make a mockery of our character, but it is honorable, the proverb says, beautiful to rise above petty things. This word translated glory means an elevated status. People will think highly of you. They will hold you in high regard. You will gain people's respect if you can rise above petty offenses. Our character and status stoops or rises to the level of our response to petty offenses. So when it comes to little things done against you, I want you to remember and often recall this. And maybe you need to write this down and put it on your dashboard for when you're driving. Maybe you need to write this down and and put it on your dashboard for when you don't see the person using the blinker. Or you put it on your phone so that when those bubbles go away, you can remember this, okay? Say it over and over and over. Every time you feel offended, I want you to remember this and recall this. My life is too short and my calling is too great to live offended by little things. And I say live because, again, our character stoops and rises to the level of our response. It's not just like, oh, you know, I can be angry or whatever. I don't have to be angry. But this is your character being formed. It is your character being developed. You are being formed and developed by how you respond to little offenses. So my life is too short and my calling is too great to live offended by little things. I talk about little things. And those are the little things that are kind of annoying. The reality is for most of us, there will be significant hurts and wounds that emerge throughout life. That we wrestle with the way people have treated us. Some of us have been betrayed in significant ways. Some of you have had a really, really hard year because someone betrayed you this year. Somebody, you think back on 2023 and it's maybe the worst year you can remember because you feel like you have been abandoned or you have literally been abandoned by someone you loved and you put your trust in and you put your belief in. Perhaps someone lied to you about your character or, or they, they gossiped about your character or they slandered you to other people. They let you down. They represented one thing and then they lived another way. Some of you have been abused, right? We carry around these hurts. These are real things that we experience. Real life has bumped up against your life and it's hurt and it is painful and it is hard to carry. There are those of you that will have families that are divided over the holidays and they will remind you just how dysfunctional your family is how much pain and regret you carry with you all year long. And so in this season of time, when the hurts really seem overwhelming, again, we're moving down the spectrum. We're moving away from the little offenses down to the really, really painful things. Here's my prayer for you. I pray that you don't go into this season that is meant to honor the birth of our Savior and that you open gifts with a closed-off heart to somebody who's hurt you. And I pray that you don't celebrate Christmas the time that we remember that God came near his enemies with love while hating somebody because of what they've done to you. And I pray that we never enjoy the grace of God, but refuse to extend the grace of God to other people. Sinners. 
like us. And so, what about the hard things? What about the severe offenses? What about the really, really challenging things that we've had to endure? To give us some insight into the nature of forgiving really horrible offenses, I want to take a look at a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your text with you, you're welcome to turn to Matthew chapter 18, otherwise words will be on the screen. I want to look at this portion of this scripture because this is a story that Jesus speaks of specifically about forgiveness, but forgiveness of really, really horrible things. Maybe you've heard it before. Here's how it begins. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. And so whenever Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, first of all, he's talking about God's way of life. This is how God acts. This is how God behaves. He is describing what it's like, referring to how God, uh, the world would be like if God were in charge, if God were the king, this is how the world would be lived. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. As I was reading this story this past week, four things popped out at me that I want to, I want to share with you, four insights that I want to I want to share with you about forgiveness, about how what is necessary for forgiveness to be genuine and to burrow down into your heart and to release you from those severe offenses. First is this, we need to name the offense. <clears throat> Forgiving generically will only release you partially, in other words. We need to name the offense. As painful as it might be, naming the specifics of how we have been hurt, of how we've been wronged, of how we have been wounded, is important to forgiving fully. And therefore being free from the hauntings of those past hurts. In this case, in the story, the offender owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. The Greek word for the bag of gold is a talent. The talent was the equivalent of 6,000 days. This is crazy, right? 6,000 days of a day laborer's wage. So, you know, we, we basically, it's equivalent to 20 years worth of work. One talent is worth 20 years worth of work. And this person owed the king 10,000 talents it is the equivalent of 10 billion dollars that this person owed it's more than the gdp of 80 of the countries in the world this man owed the king the 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 point the point is not to get to a number the point is to say this is an unfathomable number it's it's an unimaginably big number there's no way that we can even comprehend how big this is in fact the greek language didn't even have language for how big this number was they didn't have symbols for how big this debt was jesus's point is saying this is beyond your imagination this person owed an unimaginable debt to the king that is what jesus wants us to understand and so the king's response then is astounding the king we are told took pity on the offender The man deserved to be thrown into prison, but he begged and he pleaded that the king be patient, we're told. He asked that the king be patient with him. The Greek word, hupomone, in in the Greek, literally means to boil slowly. The word patient, it means to boil slowly. To be patient instead of angry often feels like suffering, doesn't it? You think about, for those of you who have young children, I think patience feels like suffering often. I feel like when I tell my kids... To brush their teeth and to get ready for bed and to put their clothes on and to, you know, if we're going somewhere to get dressed and to get out the door, it's like suffer, patience feels like suffering sometimes. And that's really what this is supposed to convey is that you are 
boiling slowly, that you are suffering, that you are enduring something that is oftentimes painful. The king chose to suffer with this man. And this is so important, friends. You need to understand this is so important. The king chose to suffer with this man. He put himself into the shoes of the man with an unimaginable debt and he pitied him. He pitied the man. The king saw the humanity in the man. He saw the similarities, not the differences. And he chose to pity him instead of revenge or retaliation. This is a divine choice, friends. This is not a human choice. You know what the human choice is? You know the human choice in the face of somebody who is wrong? Do you know what the human choice is? The human choice is revenge. The human choice is retaliation. The human choice is anger. The human choice is hurt back. Hurt back. They've hurt me. The human choice is the hurt back. The divine response is pity. The divine response is to come alongside those people who have hurt us, understanding that they are wounded and they are hurting, and to come along them and to suffer with them. That is a divine response. It's going to shock some of you. It's going to be a shock to some of you because we can't imagine how this could be true. We can't imagine ever doing this to the person who has offended us. We can't ever imagine doing this to the person who has wounded us so badly. I know that we want to see them as a monster. Right In our humanity, we want to see the people who have hurt us as a monster. And we want to feel justified then in grabbing our torches and our pitchforks and going to the beast's lair and slaying the beast. We want to be justified in that. That is a very human response to being hurt. But we must recognize, and this is the divine response, they are human. And they are broken and they are wounded too. And the reason they hurt you so badly is because they were broken and they are wounded human eyes have a really hard time seeing this so i pray for god's divine eyes to illuminate the way that we have seen those who have hurt us not to see them as monsters who deserve revenge but to see them as humanity in need of healing there was a law in the old testament that stated this eye for an eye you guys have heard this one probably eye for an eye you can go back one slide eye for an eye tooth for a tooth just as one man received injury from another, so it shall be given to the offender. This is what humanity, the humanity in us wants, right? We want revenge. We want to take the person who has hurt us and offend them back and to hurt them back. I need justice. I need vengeance. I need revenge. See, this was a huge step. This is out of Leviticus. This is, you know, way back then in the Old Testament. This is a huge step in social justice and civil justice in their day. The law was given in a day where there was no, when there was no law. And revenge was the very human way of interacting with people who have hurt you. That revenge was very natural. But unrestrained offense will always lead to genocide. As was often the case in many of the countries surrounding the Israelites. God gave the Israelites this law because they were entering into a land that knew nothing of civility. Think about it. In a land with no law, as was the case with the society surrounding the Israelites, anarchy reigned. If you wanted something, you took it. It didn't matter if it was an animal or a young girl or whatever it was. You wanted something, some bread, some food, somebody's land, you took it. And you were able to take it if you were stronger than them. And so if you wanted something, it always bumped up against somebody else's wants and you went to war. And if you were stronger, then you took it, then you gained it. And that usually involved a fight of sorts. And so it starts with a punch to the face and then they punch you back. And again, vengeance, retaliation, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my knife out now. You punch me back, I'm taking my knife to you. And they're going to take their bigger knife to you. And then you're going to take your gun and they're going to take their bigger gun. 
And then when the, when, when the, the war keeps escalating, right, back and forth, right, I'm going to take what I want, you're going to take what you want, escalates back and forth, well, I'm going to get my family in on it, then, well, you know what, I'm going to get my whole village in on it. And eventually, you have wars that break out. And it started over some little petty issue because I want what you have. And if I'm stronger than you, then I'm going to take it. That was how the world functioned when God gave the Israelites this law. And so God is saying, no, friends, I want equal justice. You, you, you can, fine, the guy took out your eye, fine, take out his eye, but it's got to stop there. That's what God is saying. Fine, I'm, I'm, step, I'm, I'm bringing you huge way forward in civil justice. You need to stop. You need to cut it off. You need to stop. That's a very human response. Very revengeful response. Vengeance never ended in ancient societies. So this law was put in place to minimize unrestrained vengeance, equal justice. They go with the equal punishment of their offense, but no further. But when Jesus, right, Jesus, divinity comes on the scene, Jesus, God incarnate, comes into the scene, he comes along and he models God's heart for people. And here is what he says. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. This is a radical step forward in civil justice. Love is at the very heart of God, even for enemies. And the king in the parable proves this when he cancels the debt of the offender. And to cancel the debt means that he absorbs the debt himself. He refused to let anger win. He refused to let revenge win. He refused to let vengeance win, even though it was going to cost him greatly. See, the man in the, in the parable had squandered $10 billion of the king's money. He lost and squandered $10 billion of the king's money. So for the king to forgive the man means that the money is gone. He's not getting his $10 billion back. The money is gone. To forgive someone is to pay the debt for them. It's to absorb the debt on their behalf. If your friend borrows your car and your friend totals your car through reckless driving and hasn't any means of compensating you financially, and you say, you know what, I'm going to forgive you. Your choice now is to go without a car or to go buy yourself a new car. Either way, the offense now is consumed, absorbed by you. That is what it means to forgive a debt. Forgiving someone is letting love win. Not revenge, not retaliation, not vengeance. It is loving, letting love wins. And love is always a self-sacrificial. And so we think, but what about justice? What about fairness? See, from our earthly perspective, it doesn't seem right, does it? But from God's divine perspective, he knows he's the healer. He's the one who ultimately provides. He's the one who sustains us. And he will do what he knows is right. He is the administer of justice. Paul knew this, and, and this beautiful description in Romans 12 about the love of God and how it's supposed to go through us and live through us. Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiving someone is trusting God to be the administer of justice, not taking up justice into our own hands. And we see this as the king let the man go, ultimately. He let him go. Because I think the king knew this, not forgiving somebody is a prison. And some of you have felt this. The, the reason that you're haunted by past hurts is because you're imprisoned to them. 
And you, you can't be free from them. You can't let them go. You, you let them harbor in your heart. You let them harbor in your mind. Not forgiving someone is a prison. And in the process of releasing them from their debt, the king was also released from the debt of unforgiveness. My friends, when you remain angry at somebody who has wronged you, when you remain angry at somebody who has hurt you or somebody who has wounded you or somebody who has offended you, when you remain angry, you are enabling the offender to continue to hurt you. You're enabling them to continue to haunt you. Unforgiveness is just as much of a prison as of being hurt. And so forgive, because we've been forgiven. God has forgiven us, and so we ought to forgive others. And so the next question is, what if I'm the offender? Because this is a question that people often bring to me. Well, that's fine. It's, it's, it's almost easier to forgive other people. I hear this a lot. I just can't forgive myself. What if I'm the offender? What if I'm the reason I'm haunted by past hurts because I'm the one who has hurt someone? Well, if you're the offender and you know it, and you feel haunted by what you've done, my encouragement to you is to humble yourself and seek out the person that you have wronged and confess your sins to them. Confess what you have done. Confess how you have hurt them. Here's what it's going to do, though. It's going to expose you. Your honesty is going to expose you. And here's what the devil is going to start doing in you. It's going to say, no, nah, don't do that. Uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't want that shame on your shoulders. You, you, the, the way they're going to look at you when you say that, nah, no, 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 don't do that. That's a bad idea. Don't, don't go exposing yourself. Don't go telling the truth. Don't go, don't go sharing, confessing how you have wronged other people. You know what that's going to bring on you? More guilt, more shame, more humiliation, more embarrassment. That's what the devil wants you to think. But Jesus says, you know what, friends, if you could be honest with you, knowing that my grace has already covered all of your sins, your truth, spoken and confessed, will set you free, he says. He says, First John, this is John speaking, but of course John learned everything he did from Jesus, and so he says, if we confess our sins... God is faithful. God is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to set us free from the burden that we carry. And so how do I forgive myself? All right, confession, yes. If I'm the offender, I need to go confess. I need to go admit. I need to go humble myself before the person I have offended. But how do I forgive myself? Maybe you've offended your conscience or your morals or your standards. You need to recognize that God created you for something more than you are currently. God created you for something divine. He, he created you to be conformed to the image of his son. He created you for something great. And your offense, right, living below that standard is ultimately against God. Every offense is ultimately against God, actually. And here's what you need to recognize. That he has forgiven you. That is an objective truth. He has forgiven you through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That is an objective reality. But the devil wants to keep you believing subjective lies. You may not feel forgiven. And the devil says, if you don't feel it, then you're not. That, that is a lie in the postmodern thinking of America today. That if you feel something, then it must be true. And I don't feel forgiven, so it must be true that I'm not forgiven. You need to call the devil the liar that he is. In these moments when you do not feel forgiven, you need to look the devil in the eye and say, nah, you're a liar. You are the father of lies. You're a liar. I am forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You must cling to God's objective truth. 
I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to sing one final song as we reflect on this for just a minute more. It's interesting, at, at the very, very end of Jesus' life, literally at the very end of his life, when he is hanging upon a cross, I want you to think about this. The Roman soldiers, um, he's, he's hanging on a cross, and he's looking down, and there's a crowd below him, and there's a group of Roman soldiers. They're the ones who literally you know, put the nails through his wrists. They're literally the ones who whipped his back. They're literally the ones who, who forced that cross upon his shoulders and made him carry it. He had a lot of reason to want to see them hurt. A lot of reason to take vengeance and revenge on the people who have hurt him. There are also Jewish people there, right? Their Jews were the ones who literally bound him up and dragged him before the Romans so they could do what they did to him. A lot of people below him that had offended him. And here are some of Jesus' final words. Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had every reason in the world to call vengeance down, to call an army of angels down, and to take away the pain and take away the hurt, and yet he chose forgiveness. Because that is the divine response to having been hurt, friends. And that is the only response that is going to set you free from the hauntings of past hurts, whether it be yours, that you've done to others, or what people have done to you, my friends. Forgiveness is the only way forward. And the only way that we can truly forgive others is by recognizing that we have been forgiven of so much. And the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, the the guy who has been released, you guys might know how the story ends. He goes out and he finds a guy who owes him just a few pennies worth. It's, it's just, it's a few dollars, maybe the equivalent of $5,000, right? Again, he owes 10 billion. There's a guy who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he says, give me what you owe me. Do it, do it, do it, give it to me now. And the guy pleads the exact same way. Be patient with me. Have pity on me. I will do everything you ask. I will pay it back. And he says, no, I'm not going to release you from your burden. He was not transformed by the grace that was given him. And so what does the king do? He throws him into prison. He throws the man into prison because he abused the grace that was offered him. He did not forgive others in the same manner by which he had been forgiven. And it's not like God is like some you know, angry old man in the sky who's like, oh, you don't forgive others? Well, you're going to hell. Now, forgiveness is like this. You know, like we can, only, we can only take in forgiveness. It's like your lungs and your chest. You can only take in more forgiveness when we breathe out forgiveness onto others. And, and that's what God is saying. You can only receive my forgiveness if you have the capacity to forgive others. And so, friends, recognize that you are the one with the infinite debt. You have been forgiven of so much and every other offense against you is just a petty offense. You carry around the burdens, yes, they're hard, I get it. But you have been forgiven of so much and so my friends, go forgive others. This will set you free. Know the grace of God, friends. It'll change your life. We're going to sing one final song. You you don't know the song most likely and so I would encourage you just to reflect on the words. Let this time be a time of prayer. Know that you are forgiven of every single sin that you have ever committed, past, present, and future. Friends, if you do not already know that, I I implore you right now to call upon the God who loves you and has given himself for you to free you from your burdens. And you will be saved if you trust in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. I would love to talk with you about that. If you've committed your life to Christ today, I would love to talk with you and set you on a journey to abundant life.